0: This episode, I sit down with Steven Saunders, Joaquin Noizaga, and Chris Menges of Weta Workshop. These are three people who are part of a larger team responsible for the unprecedented and awe inspiring miniature work on Blade Runner 2049. As a child, while first engaging in the magic of movies, I remember watching behind the scenes documentaries on films like Star Wars and The Dark Crystal, and being blown away at the world I had seen and experienced on film, and then realizing it was the masterwork of incredible craftsmen and women. Being able to speak with Stephen, Chris, and Joaquin was, in many ways, a dream come true, a bucket list endeavor. Please join me in this exclusive discussion. How did this? How did this project get to you guys? How did 2049 get to Weta?
1: Mm. Uh, we wouldn't be able to tell exactly where it all started because it was... it pre-production for
2: so long. Yeah,
1: and, Joaquin and I got on board with the quoting process fairly early on, um, and we just tried to infuse that process with a massive amount of enthusiasm, of course, so you almost get a sense of how desperately we wanted to do this mm-hmm. particular project. Um, but no doubt that was at the end of a long line of discussions and negotiations and things. Um so that's where we first heard about it.
3: Okay.
0: Is and I know this is a little bit of a cliched question, but I really think with Blade Runner, it's a very special question in terms of your relationship with the original film. What what is that like? And uh as you approached the beginning stages of uh talking about being on the project, what what, what did you bring to it in terms of your your love for the film or are you were you familiar with it, the original?
2: 34
1: to 46. so so in our team we we were in a position to often work with really young people certainly people that have never had the opportunity to work on miniature visual effects uh, so the first place we always go on regardless of the project, is we show that footage from the original Blade Runner, because that set the standard for
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, enduring, perfect, stunning, believable world-building through mm-hmm. miniatures. So for us to have had the opportunity to look at making miniatures for a sequel, it's was, it was quite a high bar mm-hmm. to aim for. So for me, that was that was it with the original film is just this, this incredible
4: standard to try and, um, aspire to. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Yeah, absolutely a daunting project, but nothing you could ever, um, you know, fear your way out of. Like we went, we went headstrong into the project because, I mean, we were all fans of the original, of course. And, um, trying to do it homage, it's basically the same kinds of things that uh, Denis was saying. It's like, do we actually want to? It's like, of course you do.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: But how do you responsibly translate that to uh, today's filmmaking? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, which leads into uh, probably my next question, uh, and maybe we can turn, and I know I'm not, I mean, I everyone's not technically minded, but how do how does miniature work today differ from miniature work in 1982?
4: So miniature work today and um, I guess film technicians, uh, we have more tools in our toolbox, I'd like to say. Um, We have things like Prebiz that allows us to show the directors, um, show everybody what we're gonna build using the same 3D models that we are um, using to generate our miniatures because uh, we've got things like laser cutters, and, uh, the, the studio lights themselves, um, are better. Like we've got the ability to adjust the brightness of LEDs, for example, um, on the fly without actually touching the model. So that can be done during the hot set between passes.
2: And we've got LEDs now. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <clears throat> we
1: could, we could bring all of that new technology we've been cutting our teeth on for the last few years in build methodologies, uh, to this incredibly experienced miniature photography team, head, headed by Alex Funky, and um, of course, having him for us was a huge advantage. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is the godfather. He's the, he's the smoking gun in the scenario that he has this Oscar-winning eye for shooting models. Um, so that for us was the really big, the really big advantage. Mm-hmm. And so
0: when you guys are making these, you know, when you're constructing these things, instead of like back in the day, they're using an exacto knife and they're cutting or whatever that they're doing. Now you're having a computer or a, a, a computerized machine do the cutting and then you're just doing the assembling. It's not just assembling. It's not a model kit, obviously. Um, so that kind of takes out a large portion of, uh, of time, I would imagine. It really makes things move a little bit faster, Correct.
1: Yeah, so, so we've got the prevers from the client, their initial prevers, from which we could pretty much generate matching 3D models. Mm-hmm. Those 3D models we then can break down into elements that could be laser cut, 3D printed, sculpted almost to some extent, or scratch built out of found objects, much like the original. Mm-hmm. But because of the laser cutting technology and the 3D Modeling technology we can get to the point where there's a building standing in front of you quicker And we can then really focus on The details the paint job the little railings washing lines um, Little rooms inside the windows that by the way was a big thing for Alex and for me as well mm-hmm. in The original as beautiful as those cities are You don't see into any of the rooms in the miniatures. Mm-hmm so that for us, is a big goal that you can have that slight little bit of parallax as the camera fly, flies past buildings to get a sense that there's depth inside
4: inside those rooms. But basically, the laser cutting allows us to, like Stephen said, assemble the building quickly, so it's standing there um, relatively. But then, of course, the exacto knives and the tiny saws and um, tweezers start coming out, so you can add those, mm-hmm. um, like. Three to five layers, like you were saying, like we of mm-hmm. uh, actual story on top of that story like, and character to each building. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Because basically what we're doing is we're pretending we're hundreds of thousands of different architects. Mm-hmm. So you just you kind of get stuck rabbit holing into a little story that might not, um, you know, make it to the screen. But it helps bring that full city to life. Um, like when you look at a, a city at nighttime, like a uh, long exposure photography or anything like that, you'll notice no two light sources have the t- same color temperature
3: mm-hmm.
4: throughout the entire city. So things like that. Um, so like the, the rooms on the inside of the buildings, nobody buys the same color light bulb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many out there and as they age, they actually change, they change color eventually. So everybody's got different colored wallpaper, different colored everything, but you know, in layman's terms, you look at it, it's like, oh yeah, that's a white light, even though it might be more yellow or more blue. Um, so the the way we were doing the rooms was with colored paper on the inside um, that we'd print out and then have offset about uh, what was it about thirty mil of play inside of the rooms. Mm. Yeah, so so
1: each through each window you look inside and you get a sense of four walls, the ceiling. Um, with a light in it in a, in a lot of cases, but they are, of course, they are just an illusion. I mean, you can go up to those little rooms quite close and get the sense that there's a room, but they're, I mean, oh yeah, we we just printed out basically like catalogs, home, home improvement catalog kind of pictures, and you shove it in there and it gives you a sense of in the one corner there's a wooden paneling, mm-hmm. not that there would be any wood, but fake foul wood paneling. Um, just a sense that it's a place in every single window, which is quite the undertaking. yeah, and because those they're huge. I mean they're
0: miniatures, but they're huge miniatures. Um, they, they yeah. had to have been daunting
1: and exciting.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: there was there was particularly one or two when buildings that we had in that LAPD approach, that once you climb up the ladder and climb up into the back to fix a little piece of light, you actually do get a
4: little bit of vertigo, like that we're starting to get <laughs> a little bit fine. <laughs> I think our tallest building, or because um, each building only exists as, as it is in the shot, um, but to get it to the right height in the shot, we're stacking it on top of uh, large apple boxes that we, we manufactured. Um, and to get it up there, I think our highest one was six meters in the air. Mm. Um, um, and yeah. yeah, so locking all those things together was a massive health and safety endeavor as well as, wow. uh, <laughs> logistical.
0: Yeah. Um, um, can I ask a question about, uh, a, a couple of things in the shot? Uh, you see, I think it's in the big, be- uh, K Well, not in the, be- towards the beginning. K is going into, he's going over to the Wallace corporation and he passes over the Tyrell pyramids. Were those
2: built? Um, so early days, there was a lot of talk about, okay, so reverence to the original film. Um, and there was a pretty much unanimous decision from us and the filmmakers that for us to be rebuilding, uh, the Tyrell miniature would, would almost be irreverent. Um, (laughs) so so there was a lot of work I understand, um, done by the team overseas, referencing that original um miniature which i believe there's still parts of out there um, and in that shot where where you're seeing the tyrell building with the lights off that was done um, in the computer we didn't build it um that was you know in kind of a way you, you sort of you acknowledge its presence but then you leave it there
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, it's an artifact from the original yeah it, no. i think it- really sensitive way of treating that topic. Um, and then as the shot progresses and the spinner flies through the Wallace towers, that's our miniature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the fanboys in us of course would have loved to rebuild it, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. uh, we really try to approach all of our decision-making with this, not as fanboys. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't try and emulate the original, try and do as much, um, justice to Denise's vision for this new thing. So, of course, we had our own uh, Wallace to deal with, which is this gargantuan miniature mm. um, with no no <laughs> surface structures to it. Mm-hmm. It's mm. this massive monolithic thing that you can imagine t- getting it to look like there's tiny little details in a thing that's almost perfectly smooth. Um, was a challenge mm. in of its own. You almost wished you could put little elevators and mm. little beautiful etched bits of detail on it, but mm. it had to all come from very careful,
2: tidy mm. texture and paintwork. It was actually a very good um, design juxtaposition between the Tyrell building, which you know, obviously, the original film. You get very close to it, you see all of those tiny, tiny details that make it look really quite amazing but then with the wallace buildings they're polished granite and concrete i believe it's mainly concrete polished concrete concrete. um and so the miniature we built although it was huge um barely fit in our studio um where we were manufacturing the model um and so as big as we could go it still meant that um, if you were texturing polished concrete as a piece of model making, there's not a tool really small enough to do that at three hundredth scale. Like like the, the the point of a pin would still be what like a meter wide in that in in that real world. So so we can't physically um, model make polished concrete texture onto there. So it's mainly done as a paint effect, um, and it's a as a true visual effects miniature, um, when you're painting it and you painting the model right in front of your face, you think, wow, this looks good. But the moment you put it on a camera, it, it changes completely. Um, so on the set, um, under light, there's a lot of work that happens again, where you go in with your paint brushes and, um, like paint pens and sort of trick, Trick the camera to reading it as the way it should appear, um, but then when the lights are off and everyone's gone home, and you see the paint job you've just done, it looks really quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: it was almost a bit garish. What I did is walk in and the team at the shop because we were already shooting at this time when they were still building the Wallace. They did a beautiful job on this paint job, and it looked like a piece of a piece of art, an installation art. Uh, but then when we put the camera on it and we we did the passes, it, it was a little too soft. Mm-hmm. Like you still couldn't really pick up enough detail. So I went with my team of onset set painters, um, and Chris was involved in just tidying up some details, and drew in shade with pencils wow. and eyeliners and marker pens and whatever we could find. The idea being that this structure is so large, presumably built by some mechanical process or built by Wallace's army of replicants because it's so high up. Um, but built over a time that by the time you get to the next story up, the previous story underneath it has already started aging from the acid rain and the snow and the, the extreme weather. So there's quite a lot of difference from block to block because each block that this thing's made out of. Okay, and you could probably. Oh, oh yes. How so big they are?
2: <laughs> we, 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 yeah. Each block is probably about three centimeters mm-hmm. tall. Okay. But in the real in, world, in it the be miniature, light. in the real world, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> we
4: like it's it's almost the size of a warehouse tipped up on its side. And that that scale challenge at that that size really came into effect when we started adding fiber optics to it. Mm-hmm or Mm -hmm. uh little building toppers like there's a bit of noise happening at the very top of the wallace buildings um and it looks like Mm -hmm. a tiny city lives on top of these buildings Mm -hmm. Um, and we added fiber optics to those and i'm trying to remember what what lighting guys were using but we used the smallest fiber optics we could find Mm -hmm. which were um smaller than a millimeter um i think they were the like so I think they were a half a mil we were using. I have to double check on uh, that. Oh, it's the sort of thing that if you but, dropped it in the dark on the shoot stage, you wouldn't find it again. No, it's called oh, wow. <laughs> Um But the way that those buildings were lit um, was incredibly dark because you're towering above the building. So the only kind of light you're getting is raking light pollution. So it's almost that, that texture on the side of the building. The only thing that you'll see is a bit of a glare. So you want that paint to come through it. So the, the paint um, pens and the pencils and stuff actually break up that surface as a glare and not necessarily a color. You're, so yeah, the, yeah. Um, the concrete lines, they need to be perfectly straight. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, you'll notice them. Uh, I think we did each uh, one of the passes was actually three hours on that one. Wow. Um, and the camera's running. running. Um, Uh, like three second exposures um, for how long it takes to physically make that that camera move through what is relatively small um, uh, track travel. But it's because it's so, so dark. So to get that monolithic feeling, um, and of course, we had haze to give our our distance. We had quite a bit of haze for that one because we really wanted to stack how far away each piece of this building is from itself. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean the effect itself. I, I, you, you use the term monolith, and someone else did um, a couple days ago with me, and it reminds me of the monolith from 2001. There's just something godlike and ominous about it. It's, it's an amazing effect, Um, which leads me to my question: Did you guys experience challenges doing this, and what were they? Like, just because you don't do this normally, did you come across anything that you're like, "Wow, we got to figure out how to do this. We're not really sure how to do this yet. We have to kind of," um, or Building something that was bigger than you thought, something like that.
1: It uh, for me as art director, the the challenges were very much creative challenges,
3: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, you're dealing with an IP. Just this incredible sense of responsibility to to do it justice, um, but also to to follow in Denise's leadership and try and not be too precious about making it look like the original. So finding finding a way for everything to feel blade runner, but nothing you see except for maybe the spinners in the shots are recognizable from the original. Mm-hmm. So that kind of challenge getting that that sense of the world, getting the world building right for me was
4: was was quite challenging. And the way we were overcoming a lot of those challenges too, of course, were in a different place than the than the filmmakers, basically on the other side of the planet. Um, we tested everything, um, we, before we even, uh, were out at, out at the studios filming, um, we had built a little, uh, photo booth, just a little, uh, black tent, which you'll see in some of the behind the scenes things, um, and set up the camera, uh, just a basic DSLR camera to photograph exactly what we were building. So this was early days in the uh, the miniatures process and just working directly with Alex Funky on so this is this is the feeling um that we're getting from the reference arts and uh and the onset stuff um from from Denis. We incorporate that and see how we can expand on it. Um, so we'd build a miniature, we'd give it finishes, um We'd we'd work on our, like, Trash Mesa textures, um, what's going to physically work to make that look right in camera. Because it doesn't matter how pretty it is, just like the Wallace building, um, until there's a camera on it, right? Because we're we're building a visual effects shot. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working to camera, then it's not working. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: So we need to identify those things early on so that when we go to mass produce and mass set dress because these things are massive Mm -hmm. we have to make sure we're doing it right
1: so the idea the idea was to have alex alex kept showing up and showing great interest in the models and it very quickly became clear to us that the model shop shouldn't be working independently of alex he should be there constantly monitoring and constantly giving us feedback so we built him a little home we built this little Ghetto shack, <laughs> <laughs> a miniature film studio within a um, studio. Within a studio, <laughs> for him to just come back and go in there and play, and him, he and and select groups of the model makers, and especially Chris from the start. We were in there with every bit of texture, every little shape, mm-hmm. and take really, really high end video and photographs, and really look at what breaks the illusion, um, it could be the way that a little cable is hanging off off a little ruin mm-hmm. there's one particular cable i remember we kept going back to because it didn't have the right thickness or the right weight um, and you that's the sort of thing you want to really figure out on this
4: kind of project long before it goes to camera yeah because the challenges of course is um, very similar to the original Blade Runner, I guess, is the fact that we're using incredibly high-end um, photography for this. Like mm-hmm. they used the uh, massive film to film the originals because of the film degradation. Ultimately, we used a—I uh, think it was a 19-megapixel camera. So we're essentially shooting every single shot at 6K, which means the camera sees more than we can, mm-hmm. um, and. So we have to learn how to trick it, of course. Um, well, while we were filming
1: this, they we had a screening of the original Blade Runner at a really beautiful, uh, big theater here in Wellington, the Embassy Theater, where all the Lord of the Rings premiere, world premieres were done, uh, and we went to go see this just as we were starting to film our miniature, and it was. It was eye-opening. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was sort of horrifying seeing it in that beautiful restoration. You could see every detail everywhere. And we, we were all just like, your head is moving around. like this. how does that building look? How does that thing work? Mm-hmm.
2: And, yeah, all of your previous screenings you've ever done at home or even in smaller cinemas, there's a level of stuff you see and you think that's the shot. But then when you see it at the embassy, you know, this was retrofitted for all of that new 48 frames high-end hobbit stuff so it's it's one of the best cinemas in the country and so then when you play a really nice restoration of blade runner through it what you thought you were seeing beforehand has got twice the amount of detail (laughs) (laughs)
4: No, they're gonna see everything (laughs) yeah
2: like you can almost see like what the fellas had for lunch in the in the next room over back then you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we were already very much working to that level of detail, but it was was just a confirmation that, man, we really have to stay on the ball with all of these little details. Mm
0: -hmm. So, everyone knows that Roger Deakins is the DP. How does that relationship, him lighting the film... How does that? How does his, how does his relationship work with what you're doing? Obviously, you guys are like you said you're kind of across the world doing what you're doing. Um, is it just a series of notes, or does he ever? Did he ever show up, or did Denis ever show up? And how how, how does that relationship work?
2: Um, well, I just the other day sort of pointed out the fact that the sun never set on Blade Runner because when we were shooting here. They were sleeping overseas, and then you know, as as the dawn exchanged sides of the planet, they'd get up and, and take over, and we'd go to bed. And so um, at those sort of dawn and dusk hours, there would be uh, conference calls. A, a and, quick interaction, yeah. yeah and, Inevitably,
1: there'd be someone
2: very sleepy or very tired on the <laughs> other end.
1: <hand. laughs> um,
2: Depending on who it is at the time, yeah. Uh, there,
1: there was a very close relationship between... Alex Funky, R.D.O.P. and him through visual effects miniatures, trying to get the mood that um, that Deacons was hoping for. The decision was made with these particular miniatures to try and get as close to the finished lighting in a hero shot on the miniatures. Of course, these miniatures are in many, many different passes for all the different lighting techniques, but we did try and get one as close as we could get at one hero shot that we could show um, Roger Deakins and get a sense back from. So he was very, very involved. I mean, he was the DOP on this with Alex. It was very much trying to get these miniature shots to set a standard um, that could then, I guess, hopefully be used as a reference hmm across all the other later
2: visual effects shots that were done um, without miniatures. That was something that um, John Nelson is a uh, visual effects supervisor sort of said really early days, like it would be really nice to get that um, that level of um, shot that it's, it's pretty much done. There's not, not too much more that needs to happen um, in post really. I mean, they've, and then, so uh, multiple passes—you um, know, with the motion control rigs doing the same shot of the miniature over and over again—still allows you to to play with the shot later. But but
4: the ambition was to always get it perfect for one one complete beauty pass. So we built it similar to the way a digital visual effects shot is built with the multiple camera passes. Um, might get a little technical, but the uh, the idea is that. The camera rolls through the city the exact same way every time, um, which means the uh, – but every time we're changing the lighting. So it's a hot set. Nothing can move because the building and the camera have to have the same relationship mm-hmm. for every frame of every layer of the, every shot. And some of those, like I was saying, are like three-hour passes or um, or more. Some of them are relatively quick where we just have the uh, the grid lights on. So it's just kind of – the uh, what we see while we're building versus what's lit and and haze that way the um, the visual the people who receive our visual effects can play with those in layers so you want more fog you can turn that up you want less fog you can turn that down you want the um, the the blinking lights which we were referring to as don't hit me's um, because you know flying cars don't hit the building Um, if you want those to blink out of sync you can do that because they're on a separate layer or a separate visual effects pass. But the, uh, the challenge there is using the motion control rig to talk to the camera. Um, the cameras, each frame has to travel the same distance. So if you're doing a three second exposure, the camera has to travel the exact same distance during that three seconds mm-hmm. as it does for a fiftieth of a second exposure. Wow. So it's physically like there's, there's a, a massive amount of, um, maths involved and and getting uh getting that stuff right camera department wise and it was absolutely stunning seeing their work Mm -hmm. true artists oh yeah uh
0: do you guys have a a particular it's hard to say set piece because they're everything is all over but i i I know that one shot well it's not just one shot but the the spinner is going into the junkyard essentially and it's going over to the um the orphanage or whatever that place is um and when i first saw the trailer for this you know your eyes aren't telling you that you're watching a miniature all that stuff the the spinners flying through are just big uh uh, empty shells of buildings and whatever they used to be um and it's it's amazing it's even still knowing what i know of it I can watch it, and I still don't really believe that it's a miniature, even though it is. Um, the level of detail in that shot, the level, the junkyard, the the garbage. I mean, it's what what's the the um the build time on something like
1: that? I think you've got this, Steve. Oh yeah the the texture <laughs> at the, at that scale. I believe it was more or less thirty foot scale to get. The specular finishes and detail to tell your eye you are looking at a mangled pile of human waste, metal <laughs> bits of ship. It's it's it alludes to being a shipyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at reference of uh, Chittagong in Bangladesh, the shipwrecking yards. Yeah, were that, big reference. That was a big client reference. But that that little ghetto tint we had with Alex, we we kept going back in there and doing mixes of. Of uh, we had mulch and uh, colored wood chips, colored wood chips, bits of cut up plastic. Cinnamon um,
2: was a big thing. Cinnamon. Yeah, we, we, we bought the local store out of cinnamon <laughs> at least. <laughs> so it
1: was it was a massive undertaking to actually work out what that texture is, and really we were reliant on on Alex's incredible eye to figure out how to do that. Um, the bigger structures were were. F- A little bit easier to do because they they were sections of nondescript ships whether they're seafaring ships or um, interstellar ships Um, we didn't really get into that too much they're most they're mostly
2: ambiguous yeah
1: Yeah. they're they're mostly big tanker ships that have been scavenged Uh, so for the shots you see in that place that trash Mesa we did shoot a lot of miniatures. Um, we also, we'll get to this a little bit more. Chris can talk about the photogram process, but we did a lot of models that we photogrammed to create digital assets from.
4: And, that, and that's what really, I think, is important about this film, like you were saying, is that, yes, there's miniatures in there, but they seem seamless mm-hmm. because of the the blend of the uh, the digital artists that also worked on not just our shots but of course the rest of the film um, is that they they were able to bring a a human factor into our miniatures cuz like there's that one shot where we're passing through and there's a bunch of guys welding or cutting up a massive structure and there's just this rain of sparks coming down mm-hmm. well that was that was an overlay of one of the things yeah, we had we sitting we did we didn't do that <laughs> yeah we didn't, we didn't have tiny sparks anywhere no makes sense
2: <laughs> with angle grinders yeah <laughs>
4: um so yeah that that blend i think and of course in in the original blade runner it was you know a blend of matte paintings um of even negative matte paintings on on stock right um as well as of course your your live action scene that happens where that's fully extended um and so i think that that blend that everyone's um uh, saying that's so successful in this film um, is really I guess brought to the forefront um, where we're where we're at today with our technology
1: mm. yeah, we we sort of lost track of our our shots as our babies after they went on and um, there are definitely a lot of things done to enhance those miniature shots there were definitely some more structures added in in places here and there. So it would be unfair of us to claim them as purely miniature. But the miniature always was always intended to be a a mood board, a study for what the what the potential for these shots are. Yeah. But certainly all those ground textures and things you see are definitely ours. I think it
2: was it's it's really suited its purpose in that this particular location doesn't exist on our planet mm-hmm. or yet so you can't go out to these places and film it so you build it out of references from the real world so there was mm-hmm. a lot of aerial photography um, of flood alluvial planes that were layered into those shots um, there is um, you know the miniature under real lighting that sits in there as well and then the fantastic digital work added to that later um, so I guess what I'm getting at is even though it's a make-believe place, it's as real as you can get mm-hmm. um, because you've got this real light, real textures, and really incredibly well done CG elements added to just blend it all together. Mm-hmm. It's a really um, uh, collaboration. And, uh, I, yeah, like you say, even I struggle to sort of look at the shots and go, where does it end? <laughs> where, where does that bit? <laughs> I don't know how they joined that. And <laughs> it's It's really great. It's a pleasure. And there's one shot. There was a video released
0: before the film came out. Um, and it was pretty quick, but it, it was a really quick glimpse into the miniatures. And it was kind of a raw shot of the that shot of the spinner going through the trash yard or whatever, or the shipyard. Um, and it was without effects. And it starts off where you're only seeing it. And then I think the camera pulls out a little bit and then you're seeing, Oh, Hey, there's people around there. And even that shot without any additional computer accenting is amazing. I mean, I, I I don't, I don't think really people understand the work that has gone into something like that. I mean, I, again, I'm just kind of fanboying a little bit. It was, it's an amazing, (laughs) it's an amazing shot. I, 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 it's one of those things where I'm a big fan of Jim Henson's *The Dark Crystal*, and I remember watching that film as a kid and seeing Agra. Um, if hopefully you guys are familiar with the film, um, and not knowing that she wasn't a living creature, and even to this day knowing that it's not real, still not believing it. And the stuff that I saw in um, 2049 is the same way. It's like, yeah, okay, I can. T- yeah, you're telling me this, but. I don't feel that way, you know. So, I everybody, to talk to
1: you. everybody that worked on this film on on realizing this film was very focused on that realism, that believability. So, regardless of whether it was done through miniature or digital effects or massive big sets they built in Budapest, everybody had the same goal. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, we're just lucky to have brought our particular skill set to that goal.
4: But, yeah, the the intention was for every shot to have that believability. Mm -hmm. We had this saying internally that was every time you'd step back, and, of course, with the the camera tests and everything we were doing, you have a step back and you actually look at the work that you helped collaborate on, and everyone would eventually have muttered at one point in time, that looks like Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. work. And you just kind of sit back, and, Mm -hmm. of course, we're enjoying it, as the first people for the first time. And then, of course, we, we yeah, it's share a, that it's stuff. It's a tricky thing because
1: we've never seen a trash mesa in the Blade Runner world. <laughs> we <didn't laughs> so really started the city, did we? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> a, a big part of that that I kept in mind was that um, I think it was in the documentary Dangerous Days, there's a quote from Ridley Scott saying that the way that he builds shots is he puts the camera at the the other end of the camera, uh, light at the other end of the camera then he places objects in between the light and the camera, and that's how he lights a shot.
3: Hmm.
1: And I think a lot of that stuff in Trash Mesa was about these silhouettes. In fact, all of our miniatures were really about their silhouettes because they're quite dark.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Mm. uh, The intention was to really be able to cut these beautiful profiles, and I think that for us was what was Blade Runner.
0: Is there a favorite between you and Chris and Joaquin? Is there a favorite? uh, And maybe this isn't, maybe you guys don't even view it this way, but is there a set piece or a miniature that you had more fun working on as opposed to another?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean. Does it work that way? Or is it just, we got to get through this? (laughs) Uh, there, are, there are some which you, you probably would curse at a bit more than others, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and and if that gives you a scale of of favorites to, uh, <laughs> you know, le- less appreciated um, builds, um, you could work it out that way. Um, but I think just because of how beautiful it looked in the final shot, mm-hmm. the, the, I mean, you've, you've got to say the heart and soul was the LAPD building. Mm-hmm. No, um, it, it's it's that it's that iconic shot um, from the original poster um, with the the L.A.P.D. station. From that, it's it's this film's version. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're looking down on it. Yeah, yeah that, see all the little spillers, spinners landing on it. Yeah, and, that
1: was probably
2: yeah. And so for me, from you know, being the from a model maker's perspective, I think that was a really good example of. All of the skills spread across um, Trash Mesa and the Wallace Building and the rest of the city amalgamated into one model because it had a steel frame. So there was welding going on there. Um, yes, there was laser cutting and 3D modeling and um, 3D printing, but at the same time there was a lot of traditional scratch building. Um, like the the curved corners of the buildings were made out of it just happened to be the same circumference as some PVC drain pipe we had around. So, um, that was, you know, cut up by hand, installed by hand, textured by hand. It was all, old processes that you, you could ever want to play around with were
4: used on that building. Yeah, fully textured by hand and then installing all the fiber optics again, um, with the lighting department, mm. uh, figuring out how we were going to do all that. And once we got it there, uh, we took a lot of images of it in process mm. uh, to make sure that we were getting it right, because of course that's that is the shot, right?
2: Yeah, that was that was the big one, and so I think we, I mean, you guys might have some favorites, but um, from that was the one for me. Um, Trash Mesa is very much built to camera, and you kind of don't have a one particular model in there that you kind of go. I remember. That one as a little identified piece because oh, I've got it on, yeah. Um But um, for for LAPD, that fly through of the city, yeah, I think that was the one for me. Those,
1: those were the last shots we did, so maybe by that point we had a little bit of sentimentality that it was close to the end of our our stretch on it. But
4: yeah, I think that the LA stuff is is really probably everybody's favorite yeah la was good and um, of course the uh the visual storytelling in there is that everyone lives in these these high-rises mm-hmm. or everyone used to live in these high-rises and now they're large empty shells and only a couple of rooms lit um but with trash mesa we were able to just kind of go nuts with it because we actually had a ground to dress as well um or it was the uh the mulch that we were using or any of that ground dressing um we were able to put little trails in, little things that are hanging down. Um, there was one point where Alex and I were talking about like, okay, so if they're they're stripping these monoliths, monolithic ships down, you would think about how a scrapper would organize their scrap. And so we made tiny little coils of wire, like somebody had pulled all of the uh, copper wire out of somewhere and stacked it up next to a bunch of little barrels and tires and We made a bunch of these little model uh, barrels and and stacks of um, just bagged garbage and stuff, and those are all throughout Trash Mesa. There was a lot of math to
2: just um, say you've got um, some scrapper up on one of those pieces cutting a plate of steel out of it. Um, The size of that steel means it can only be a certain distance from that monolith on the ground, um, until it's cut down and the smaller pieces would be dragged further away. And so, yeah. so all of these sort of yeah, micro rules You have there, to have.
1: There were there was actually a lot of Organization and a lot of lived in in trash Mesa that you couldn't possibly process in just the shop But it all it all
4: builds on the believability of it Yeah, so it's like worn in trails of where people are taking taking vehicles or just taking the value stuff to save the orphanage for the kids to further break down um, into precious metals or whatever, um, and and we even put little like uh, like tarp houses and and things in there. Mm. Um, I think Steven decided there needed to be a little hobbit hole somewhere. <laughs>
1: it's trash. It's a trash hobbit hole built into an old drain pipe that was exposed <laughs> with, a little poison, with a little poison pool outside. Yeah, a little rusty <laughs> pool coming out uh the 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 thing that motivated that is there was a particular place in the shop that just needed a a little dark strip so i just made the dark strip this sort of nasty trash hobbit hole I <laughs> <like> the- <laughs> stuff um that we got really detailed concept design from their art department i mean we were really just extrapolating off very clear um design briefs yeah so there were there's art we've we've got this um the heart and soul of blade runner art book Mm. that that, yeah it's stunning there's some Mm -hmm. stunning artwork in there so really um, we might sound like we're claiming <laughs> responsibility for how well-conceived yeah. these were, but we were really working to a brief, mm. but then really just trying to infuse that with our own particular miniature
2: yeah. model visual effects yeah. details. Um, I mean, uh, Denis and Dennis Gassner and John Nelson. You know, when when we came to this um, project, they had already had their world. Um, thought about for so long and we we had key art to work off um, it was they it was clear from the outset they knew exactly what they wanted and how this world was gonna gonna look and we were just able to play in that yeah, space so
4: given to us to facilitate all that like that in the referencing the art book again um the opening page of introducing trash mesa in that art book mm-hmm was one of the first uh, images that we got of what they want, right? What they want this part of the world to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Alex and I were in that tent, we um, absolutely worked to that artwork Mm. with how much haze we wanted in there, where the light direction is coming from, the ambience, the, um, the reflective surfaces, because, you know, of course, it's always wet and grungy. So that artwork, we uh, we physically took images, and um, I photoshopped them on top of the artwork, and then put a little white border around the individual images. Because of course we're only shooting little elements because um, we're working on top of, or we're, we're making those miniature in that shot. Fraction,
3: so it's holding, it's a holding the things,
4: yeah. So we did little fractions of it. So holding things at the right angle uh, for the that artwork Um, we photoshopped of course in three different images like okay well here's the first idea for ground texture here's what a further distance model looks like in uh the smoke and here's what wires look like and here's a paint finish with that slight reflection on it and i remember when that went off to the client they're like why are there white squares in the picture what are you showing me (laughs) like no 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 no."
1: yeah so the so the idea was that we took Bits of photography of our miniatures and drop them back over the concept designs to see if they work
3: if to get that effect. It, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and it worked really well. So, so the the end result was that you couldn't really tell where the concept design ended and where the miniature started. So, uh, go from was, there. Yeah, that
4: yeah. was really important. One of my favorite things about the concept design that there's these great big cables coming off of all of these structures mm-hmm. that you know. Be holding it up um or keeping it from from rocking or physically just being a little pulley system to be able to take i stuff always up thought they were
1: extension cords running up to all the power tools at the
4: top oh yeah <laughs> well, what i was looking for was to actually stake down the models because they were uh quite large things and for, for all those motion control passes nothing can move at all so we actually took the wires and like little bamboo skewers and stabbed them into the ground surface and it actually held the models mm-hmm. in place. So it's physically doing what it would do in the world. Oh, wow. Um, age them down a bit. But it's worth noting too that for Trash Mesa, it was quite a playground because you're just making dirty, sharp, just a place you don't want to wander through. Mm-hmm. Um and at Avalon Studios, which is where we were filming, they, uh, they were renovating one of the old, uh, just one of the old sound rooms or something. Mm. So their dumpster was full of amazing things. Yeah, cool old retro gear. Then. And uh, yes. Abby and I were in the dumpster all the time, just pulling out extra <laughs> little bits of models. And mm. all, that's where all the wires had come from, too, is they were, uh, they were getting rid of all that stuff. Um, so we were able to just facilitate that on site.
2: Yeah, miniature and real world dumpster diving. Yeah, we're, we're,
1: <laughs> we're those guys at Weta Workshop. We're the dumpster divers, the guys that you always find <laughs> back in the looking for. Because uh, what other people throw
2: out as trash is beautiful little details for us to infuse well, the miniatures with. Well. Yeah, packaging's great. Um, yeah, action figure parts. parts, dollar shop yeah. toys. You know. Uh, Broken Tupperware. Those polystyrene formers
1: you
4: get around when you buy a microwave or a mm-hmm. fridge. Those things are great. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: you
4: can see in our book, some of our building toppers are made of like flashlights and things.
2: Yeah. I <laughs> think a lemon squeeze are in there somewhere as an old to Thunderbirds. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's one question I have in terms of uh, when Kay and um, his girl are going back or going to they are going to Vegas. Um, and you see the Sepulveda Wall, and you see eventually there's this big ship coming over the top, big interstellar yeah. ship. Um, and then you're seeing, it's the grandest view you've seen of the area, and I'm wondering what of that was you, were in uh, part,
1: you guys. So, so for that, again, it's really difficult to make bold claims when we <laughs> involved in the, the further digital processes, but we we built a fairly, Joaquin has got more details on this, we built a fairly large um, structure to to create the form of the wall to have various effects running down uh, clouds yeah. and uh, mm. those sluices of water opening up, so we it was an element shoot for those particular effects elements.
2: Yeah, so um, we, because all of the shots are sort of pre-planned as, as previous, um, you can directly take from the previs model um, the 3D model used to generate that object that, that they're pre on. So we were to able to receive the exact um, dimensions and I guess topography of the seawall um, prior to it being nicely detailed later on by the cg team um and build it in our studios in the real world out of um polystyrene that we painted black um at a very large scale um and then um the scene where you see i don't know is it part of that shot or maybe it's a separate shot somewhere in the film where the um, the sea walls breaking, uh, water's rushing over the seawall, mm-hmm. or mists coming down. So we recorded over just black, our black painted um, polystyrene representation of the wall, just um, salt, bags and bags and bags of salt mm-hmm. being pushed simultaneously over the wall, mm-hmm. um, and at miniature scale and at the right, um, camera speed it, it has that in, incredible effect of big water mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so the, the polystyrene model beneath being black um, means that you can digitally comp that out quite easily r- meaning that in your shot the only remaining element is that falling water mm-hmm. and, and that was uh, then superimposed into, into that shot. Um, So you you get a lot of the real um, over the top of of the digital Uh, And they use that to their advantage a lot. I think for the the greater um, Cityscape Vista and although I would have loved to have built it. We didn't build the big spaceship (laughs) (laughs) I'd have loved to build the spaceship, but you know
1: I heard somewhere a fan theory that we cannot confirm or deny that that ship Looks very much like the Sulaco. Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. might have been even you guys mentioning that. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I sort of got that sense. We we were really looking forward to seeing what do these ships look like because you've never seen them mm. in this world. Yeah, Philip um, K. But, but, yeah
2: that's uh, mm-hmm. that was very
1: it's
0: teasing, wasn't it? It was unfair. <laughs> yeah. That's a big old Easter egg. I mean, it was dead on for the architecture of the Sulaco, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and the other thing about that, um wide cityscape shot is that um we had specific miniatures to build for specific shots mm-hmm. so when you're panning across the whole of the the, the city the world there's no way that yeah. that yeah. was in our means at the time um so what we did was after we after or before or during um shooting the la cityscapes um for all of our shots um the buildings that we um had produced were photogrammed which i don't know if we'll talk about that now or a little bit later um so they were then photogrammetry essentially digitizes, digitizes, the, model digitizes and the, the miniature paint job and yeah everything it turns it into one 3d model with the exact paint jobs that we did and the dimensions mm-hmm. of stuff that we glued on Um, And those elements are sent back to uh, the teams putting together the big cityscapes. Um, So you can't really tell in the end whether or where or which part, but um, the miniatures um, as individual buildings were available to be placed in that city. So I guess that would be our only involvement in those shots.
3: Okay yeah uh
0: just uh an odd question where where is that lapd building now is all that stuff gone uh, or
4: i know it's a shipping container well wrapped up oh good
0: we, good
1: we, <laughs> yeah we we very lovingly packed everything away as the future well, everything that wasn't molding that them to be everything that wasn't molding so the yeah
4: started deciding it wanted trash to grow trash things. mesa was not in a good place <laughs>
1: After weeks and weeks of wetting it and reshooting it and Mm -hmm. leaving it under those hot lights, it Mm -hmm. started uh, growing a life of its own in some places. We We found a combination (laughs) of uh,
2: PVA glue thinned with water to seal everything down is a pretty standard process, but there was a particular um, type of dressing that we, um, made or had made, which was out of, uh, coconut husks and coffee grinds. And so as soon as (laughs) a little bit of like mushed up like paper. And so as soon as that gets wet, you know, you think the glue is going to dry, you come back in the morning and everything will be set ready to go. Um, but when you come back in the morning, there's probably an inch of this gray fuzz, this funk, like, Fungus has grown <laughs> across the whole city <laughs> for the
4: ruined city shot. Yeah, the, uh, the back hills part. It was um, it was so beautiful. We actually left it in because it was these perfect
1: little lines. Of, well, uh, these funny well bits, we're, we're, we're not saying that that was in the shots no no we, we did go and carefully remove all of that but um but it was uh, uh
2: but, so, but you can't it can't stop plants from growing so to answer <laughs> the question
1: is uh, there's not much of trash mesa that will um exist into the future but but all of the buildings especially the lopd building and the wallace building are um very carefully stored away still rigged ho-
4: with their fiber optics
1: still with the lights and everything in them that's yeah. awesome
0: yeah I, I think there's this idea that uh, that world is somewhere
1: living on and i guess in a way it is if you if you imagine the end of raiders of the lost ark where uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's we have a place like that here
2: and <laughs> in, in all of those you know historic films of uh, of new zealand and and peter jackson and whatnot <laughs> There's, there's a place somewhere where yeah. all things go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're stacked safely alongside those. Yeah. So whatever happens next. We have seen things you wouldn't believe.
0: <laughs> um, I like that.
2: Uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question
0: that was posed by uh, my co-host Patrick. Um, this will be interesting. What uh, in-camera effect, whether it's a miniature or whatever, have you guys seen that's blown your mind lately? Or that continues to from years ago?
4: So for me, I think we'll answer this individually. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment I remember a visual effect just flooring me was actually Independence Day. They actually blew up a house. It was like, oh, it's the White House, and now it's not there. You know, it's like they built a miniature <laughs> and blew it up. That's a thing. That's a job. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, further into that film, of course, is the uh, the alien head splitting open. Mm-hmm. I can still feel what that felt like. It was just like, no, not okay. (laughs) Um, But of course, further into the future, I'm very impressed by uh, uh, Christopher Nolan's work on, of course, Batman and um, the uh, the Dunkirk stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, and it's interstellar. And interstellar, of course, it's like, oh yeah, we're just going to hang planes from helicopters. That's just a thing you can do. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Mini- miniature planes, yeah. Yeah, miniature planes, or the full-size one. Yeah, and, the stunts uh, from... <laughs> Man. Mm. It's like... Woo! That was... Dancing. Scene. What?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I agree for for that sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, I'm always asked, you know, what's my favorite visual effect or whatever, because I think I'm arguably one of the nerdiest <laughs> about this stuff. But... Um, I, I always think about, there's a shot in Dune, um, where you see, it's, it's the Atreides family, right? Um, stepping out of their, mm-hmm. or walking up the stairs to their little, uh, well, it's, I guess it's a huge spaceship to go out and about wherever they're going. Um, and that shot for me blows my mind, not because, um, it's a particularly, Attractive shot in its final form, but it was the way they did it Um, because How how it was done was they filmed it. I think it was all shot that stuff in Mexico Um, And they had a great big car park What they did is they built a real-world sized piece of stairs and the little doorway for the actors to walk through but then up on a great big scaffolding tower uh, a, a great distance back on top of that, they built a miniature of the spaceship with little people um, cut out, um, standing in miniature form there, with a hole in the middle of the miniature set, which lined up exactly with, off in the distance, I the actors to the real doorway. on the real set. Wow. And shot it all in one camera. Wow. And looks seamless. It was It's incredible. Um, what an achievement. And because they filmed it outdoors, the lighting matches perfectly. It's just... That stuff's mind-blowing. It's one of those <laughs> shots you see in the film and you go, oh, that's cool, but then you find out how they did it. Whoa, that's
1: <laughs> insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We will kill until no Harkonnen breathes Arakine air. Arrakeen! Well, one of one of the miniature shots that I've always found particularly amazing that um, Joaquin actually pointed me to how they did this was a similar thing. It's a... It's a fairly unimposing shot in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. There's a big ship in the middle of the desert, mm-hmm. and I think you see people walking off behind, behind it, it. Behind it, yeah, and that's the same thing. It's a, it's a miniature model of a ship, not particularly large. That they just lined up in front of camera, and then they had people in the desert off in the distance walking. And it's a completely believable shot the fact that you never even think about how they did it, you just accept it.
2: You think they found it's a place remarkable. somewhere with a boat in the sand and they shot it. Yeah, you <laughs> think, oh, there must have been a boat in the sand somewhere. No, it's a, miniature, <laughs> it's a miniature few metres from the camera and then the actor's way off over there and it just lands perfectly. But yeah.
1: then I think it's fair to say that we are all here doing yeah. this in this particular funny little city because of the miniature work that was done on Lord of the Rings yes. and King Kong. Yeah. Um, because of the work that Alex and Weta had done back then. I mean, that stuff is astounding. Yeah, it's half to past um, today. It's funny yeah. you
0: say back then, it still feels like it was like a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a couple of years yeah. ago, but um, some of us weren't growing facial hair back then. <laughs> so It feels like it was quite a time break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet.
1: Um, and and one of my guilty little pleasures is actually a lot of the stuff, not necessarily miniature effects in Baron Munchausen. Oh, yeah, of, amazing. Uh, the the stuff with, that they did particularly with the death character, mm-hmm. with that reveal, and they shot it with light in front of a silk screen and then behind the silk, silk screen and the transition, everything just being in camera is just... Uh, so clever, disgustingly and, uh, clever. Uh, yeah.
2: some of the stuff in the abyss as well. The There's abyss, submersibles yeah. and oh my god, the aliens. Um,
1: <laughs> clearly, we could carry on talking yeah. about. Sort of
4: but yeah. I, I do want to. I do want to add the uh the dam scene, dam breaking scene in Dante's Peak. Mm. That was an absolutely stellar visual effect. Yeah, man wipe out this uh this bridge that had rc cars on it and it is seamless with the oh, way yeah, they filmed remarkable. the actors reacting to what's happening um and the dam itself was like a legitimate dam um and the way they actually had it break i've seen some of the behind the scenes uh, images of that where they actually just turned on these massive pumps to uh Make sure you didn't lose the illusion of the weight of the water coming through mm-hmm. this dam as it broke. They had so many cameras on it; It's just beautiful. It's yeah. worth it's worth a watch on, on anywhere again. I'd like to add one more actually. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, there's um, there's a there's a shot in the original Tremors movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. where the Skotak brothers were commissioned to do. Essentially, I think it's in a basement. They have this sort of like uh, gun storage basement, and uh, one of these worm things breaks through the wall and they're shooting at it. It's a ludicrous scene. But uh, they shot a live set with the actors with no break in the wall, with no monster, and then they went and recreated that room in miniature, I think quarter scale, I can't remember exactly. Um, and all of the reverse stuff where you see the wall breaking you see the thing coming out you see them shooting slugs into this giant fat face of this monster it's all done in miniature and it's cut perfectly in the scene you can't tell mm. that half of the scene is in a miniature and the other half is in a real place it's
4: just remarkably done yeah mm. wow i think everybody's got a special place in their heart for the ray harryhausen oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. you know
2: there's some some you don't even comment to because of course it's your favorite you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> going to pick it um yeah. like there's even there's tiny tiny small things that you know you wouldn't even list as a practical effect um, all you know Jurassic in Park. in your in your memories um, for because all of these big films take over but little stuff um, one of my favorite shots <laughs> of all practical effect is from uh, Julie Taymor's Tempest film um and there's the shot where uh the camera pans across a sort of a stormy ocean to a sandcastle, and then the camera pulls out, and you see that sandcastle is on someone's hand, and then within shot that cam uh that sandcastle dissolves from from the rain, and it was it's an incredible practical effect because they Worked out a way of I think they froze wet sand in this castle shape at the correct temperatures with the right moisture content that with a couple of drops of water it would just collapse wow. and and they had three takes and it's beautiful um, just really small simple things I
1: think I think it comes to it comes mm. down to when people have really spent the time and been really innovative and clever and they've planned it out so that you can actually get it in camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, as as uh, admirers and practitioners of this craft, that's the stuff that really stands up. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily how impressive it is as, as a shot; it's far so impressive it is that they pulled it off yeah. in camera to begin with. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah.
0: Um, I don't want to keep you guys much longer. I I, I am interested in. Uh, I've obviously, I'm sure you've seen the film, of course. What yeah. Good times. What, what are your did it what how does it sit with you? How, did you respond to it?
2: I thought you might be able to help me with the case. Any idea where I could find him? Your police plan on taking me
4: here. I would much prefer that to the alternative.
1: The first time watching it was a little bit, for me, it was a, it was an anxious affair. Um, I got a really strong sense throughout making the film that we were working on something great, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't—it's very rare that you get a sense that your director and everybody creatively is really on track.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I had that all the way through from this. the outset, hey, hey. Um, and I really wanted it to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think we—I I think we're—we're
4: we're very, very happy <laughs> so, with yeah. the result. Yeah. For me, it's like this massive personal achievement um, that we as a, as a collaborative group were able to influence just a little part of this, this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very proud to be a part of that, but I was able to through tooth and nail, not read any scripts other than what I needed to perform. <laughs> um, yeah. These guys had to, had to delve into a bit of the uh, the story beforehand. So yeah, they, they knew kind of what <laughs> was coming up and they mm-hmm. were going off. Oh, not this, don't tell Chris <laughs> yeah, like, uh, because I have I have this little weird tick where I absolutely do not watch movie trailers. I cannot, I cannot stand them anymore. That's they just you, tell way too much. That's how you get
1: Chris out of a room as you put a trailer <laughs> on will
4: actually come to the door. I actually don't want to know anything about it. So, um, I want the story, the storytellers to actually be able to tell me what's going on. I don't want to know who's in the film. Because you know like you're just waiting for that Chris, reveal.
1: Chris created a scenario for himself that was actually quite lucky that he saw the he saw the film with fresh eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. He didn't know what was going to happen. No, it was um, it was amazing. Um, of course, I knew the environments we were going to explore, but I was I was able to watch the story unfold straight after watching all of the uh, the the shorts.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: We we did the whole thing. We watched. The movie then we watched the shorts in chronological order not the order they uh, put up in yeah. but then we went and watched the film and then we went watch the film again <laughs> <laughs> um but when when i think it's it's worth noting too that of course the advertising was coming up and we were seeing all these uh the, the movie poster is quite dramatic mm-hmm. in it so. And it's color grading. I was a bit worried about that, but
2: mm. we but, started
4: seeing our miniatures driving around the city on the backs of buses. That was yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's strange. Yeah, um, yeah. That whole kind of orange and teal thing was, um, yeah. You know, it's the flavor at the moment. Uh, but knowing that, um, uh, was it Roger Deakins really did that as an in-camera effect? Because you know they're referencing those big dust storms that happen in Sydney. Mm. Um, And, and it's there for a reason, you know, it's, it's not a, Oh, teal and orange for everything sort of thing. So it was really cool to, to see the artistry in that, um, for me, even though it's like, you know, we make, you know, miniatures and visual effects and all of that. Um, I'm really in this business for the storytelling. And so when I watched this, you know, 2049. um, it was having known the original film, the original Blade Runner film, and wanting to see where do you go with this, (laughs) with another film in that Blade Runner world. Um, and it's brilliant that, you know, they had Harrison Ford being able to reprise his role. And, um, you know, a lot of the original filmmakers are still with us and, you know, can, can be a part of it. So when I went and watched the film, um, you know, the first screening, you get, you get to the end and everyone's saying, oh, what did you think? I liked it or I loved it or whatever. And I, um, I withheld judgment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I came out of the cinema and I said, I don't know yet. <laughs> I need to watch it one more time. And then the second time when I was able to um, watch it with fresh eyes, not just trying to figure out what was going on, um, but to truly soak it up, i, I yeah, I think I really like a, it. The
1: <laughs> movie movie going experience is tainted if you've worked on the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's so much of your own personal experience that's gone into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very hard to make a judgment initially. We all had to go and see it again. Yeah, because
4: when you watch it the first time, all you're looking for is seam lines and, and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> what, but if, that what did that we story do wrong? was so overpowering. Yeah. Can they see the mold? They let you uh, <laughs> it's soak it's no it mold. in for so yeah. long. Yeah. Um, just the, the character development. You didn't have to assume, oh, well, I guess that's the choice you made. You actually sat there with Kay going, Oh, yeah, now this is where we're going. Um, and I think in your guys' previous podcasts, just just your exploration of uh, joy as a character um, is actually just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, like her development throughout the film, as well as like <clears throat> implied development of of where she came from and where she went uh, that that kind of storytelling was really why I try to avoid any of the trailers, anything because mm-hmm. I want to be there with the characters in the Unbroken Illusion, not, yeah. oh, we're not really in trouble because I haven't seen in them in that part in the trailer yet. or yeah. whatever.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, it was also really cool that the storyline had so much of a sections from the original film's ambition to be included being used in, in this film as well. And, you know, having, um, you know, Hampton Fancher still still here with us and and working on this story as well. It's really, it's just brilliant. (laughs) Do you like our owl?
1: I was was, uh, unreasonably worried about Rachel because I knew that was coming. Mm. So so through the whole film, I was worried about getting to this point and we're going to have uh, the CG character walk in on, but I was I was very surprised at how well it turned out.
4: Yeah,
0: that I I think it's being rated as the best CG of a human to date. I mean, I, I, when I saw it, I didn't think. What I really actually thought was Sean Young. They got Sean Young in that costume, and they did it, and she looked good, and she looked a little bit different. But I had no idea that that wasn't a real person. I was
2: that they like I don't know how they would have done it like maybe it's the exact same movement she performed in the original film and they've cut her out and then stuck her in this film
4: (laughs) digitally tidied it up but no it was (laughs) very cool and I think Stephen was speaking to this too we were having this conversation about why did she look different well of course it's because you're looking for her Mm -hmm. but the responsibility of saying that her eyes were green you know that uncanny valley. I thought valley. That was really that was just Perfect. like, that. of course, you look different because your eyes are the wrong color. It's like they, give you something you know? that couldn't in her. Yeah, know? so they, yeah. they
1: play on that weirdness that you're looking at and you're not really get, you're not really 100% believing it.
2: But that's sort of the point. Mm. That's why she's there. Yeah. And that isn't that just the mark of um, brilliant storytellers and great direction.
0: Mm.
3: Mm.
0: Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you guys all day. Huh? Um, <laughs> I really could. Uh, I, I really want to thank you for being on. Absolutely. I mean, taking the time of your day. I know you, you're you very busy. Um, it's just been a- an amazing time. Uh, and everyone is asking about when they're going to hear you guys talk. So, And the video, video that you released or whoever released it, Weta, um, was awesome. And I've watched it probably four or five times by now. So thank you so much. <laughs>
2: Uh, oh, thanks, Jamie. It's been nice talking.
0: To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.